Hello there. I'm Brett McGarry. Je m'appelle Greg Mackling. And welcome to Friday afternoon. Later this afternoon, we're going to have our weekly visit with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. What's with all that stuff? What's with all that stuff? Inspired by a conversation that we had actually yesterday because I was missing one of my Blu-rays, <laughs> right? right? That's my, right. In, my Blu-ray for Inception. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Blu-ray that I probably would never have really noticed. It's been gone for months, five to seven months. And I just happened to be looking at my shelf thinking, something is not right. And then it dawned on me that I was missing Inception. And I had to track down who the person who had it. The person who I thought had it said he didn't. And then it turns out he did have it. So anyway, I got that back and now all is well. But that got you thinking, well, what did you need it back for? You know, and there was that clip from Seinfeld that we played for you about books. People are obsessed with getting books. Have you read that book I lent you? Have you finished with that book yet? Uh, Can I get that book back? Are you going to reread the book? No, we typically just like to keep track of them and make sure that they're in their proper spot, whether it be in a box in the basement or a shelf in your quote-unquote library. We're obsessed with with books and keeping track of them and getting them back, even though you're never going to read it again. Well, that's not necessarily true. I often watch movies again. I have books that I I don't have a ton of books, but I do try to read them at least a couple of times. Mm, well, good, I for, have, good for you. I, I, and one of my the a book that I like to go back to uh, here and there is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Great book, classic book. I like to revisit that every few years. Old doll, but generally, it's also about principle. Like if you, if I lend you something, oh, I know it's all about principle. I know it has nothing to do with very much else. It has to do with 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 principle. Jennifer Botterill will join us uh, later on. One of the great uh, Manitoba athletes of all time will uh, join us. Her and her former Team Canada uh, teammate Tammy Joe Small coming to Southern Manitoba later on uh, this month for the SO Cup. We'll speak to her. And we'll also learn more about Tourette syndrome. Uh, this is going to panic some people, Brett McGarry. What's that? So hold on to your seats. Okay. Costco is going to raise membership fees. Sales and earnings are falling short. It turns out nobody's going to Costco anymore because it's just too busy. Is that when they say, when you say nobody is going to Costco, Mm. I suspect you're maybe embellishing a little bit? Somewhat. Get ready to pay more for your Costco membership. The club retailer said Thursday, effective June 1st, the price of entry into U.S. and Canadian stores will be $60 for individual and business card holders, an increase of $5, and executive members will see their fees go up by $10 to $120. Costco has raised its membership fee uh, in 2011 and typically does so every five to six years. The changes will impact some 35 million members, roughly half of whom belong to its executive program. Costco generates three-fourths of its operating income from membership fees, according to UBS. Three quarters. It's just from the membership fee. I had no idea. I don't have a uh, membership at Costco because I it's just me, so I don't need to buy a giant truckload or, you know, six kilograms of peanut butter or whatever it works. But I do remember when you know, when I was a teenager, my parents got a membership at Costco and they did a lot. We we burned through a lot of stuff oh, from Costco. We so. did a lot of damage there. So there you go. If That'll make Cos- savor the savor the tasters. 
Oh, do the they samples. still do the samples? Oh there? yes, as long as you time it correctly, you can <laughs> you can go there. You don't even have to buy a hot dog and a drink. You can <laughs> you can feed yourself and your entire family on the samples. <laughs> <laughs> Quite reasonably, as long as they're, you know, moderate uh, eaters. We do want to give something away to kick off our fun Friday. We have and our last set of tickets. Well, we, ha- we have, why don't you tell, talk about what you're going to give away later in the show. We're going to give away a ticket to the, well, two tickets, in fact, to the Comedy Fest, the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, coming April 3rd to the 9th. Their late night gala happens on April the 7th. We've got a pair of tickets for that. We'll give those away later on this afternoon. What are you giving away now? I don't know. Why Why are we d- dividing and conquering like this? Well, because you arranged for the the other prize. Well, and that, I've been I've been handling the trivia and whatnot for this. So okay, fair enough. It's, uh, yeah, it's teamwork. You do this, I, I see do that. fences coming together. up. <laughs> I saw it as a collaborative effort. Okay. You, as uh, you said, divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Dividing and conquering doesn't feel collaborative, but I'll let you go with that. Do you need me to need a need a hug? Oh, I'm fine. We have our Why last set press of- play on that little <laughs> clip you have there. I don't know what it is because you did it all by yourself. We, we clearly didn't need my help to do we this. We have our so. last set of tickets for Blackie and the Rodeo Kings. The Canadian group will be playing Burton Cummings Theater tomorrow night, and I we we have one set of tickets to the person who can answer this question. When was the band formed and in which city? Fairly simple, but it still requires a little bit of effort. 204-780-6868. Can I at least unblock the lines? Am I allowed to do that? Uh, no one's holding you back from that. Okay, yes, it's, it right it's, we're a team. Lines Go are ahead. open. 780-6868. And I will take that hug during our next break. Oh, very good. I give good hugs. 204-780-6868. When, was Black, when were Blackie and the Rodeo Kings formed and in which city? Coming up in a few moments, we're going to speak to some folks from uh, Tourette's Canada to talk about Tourette's syndrome because the trek for Tourette is being held on March 26th across Canada. So we just wanted to give you a heads up that that is coming up. But before we get to that, we uh, even though it's a fu- going to be a fun day, it's Friday, we'd like to have some fun, but it's kind of a sad day, Greg. It is. Well, I'm I'm sort of lamenting the fact that uh, neither of us made the the final made the cut. For the Winnipeg Nightlife Awards, we met our we met some folks from the Winnipeg Nightlife Awards last week. Can't believe you're bringing this up. And I'm devastated by this. They one of the categories in this, and they have categories like Party of the Year, Best Bartender, Best Sommelier, uh, Best Festival. It's basically a celebration. It, it's the Nightlife Awards, but it's really the best of Winnipeg. Really, yeah, it's a celebration of Winnipeg. If you were to print off just the entire list of nominees, you could pin that up on like a. Uh, uh, your wall and just say, well, what are we going to do? Let's go try this. Let's. This is something we can explore this Busy weekend. Busy for six, seven months. So they, we were in, we were nominated, as were a number of folks here at 680 CJOB in the best radio show personality category. But yes. we did not make the cut. No, we did it's not. Been, it's been brought down to five people, but... The 34th greatest Canadian of all time is in is in the running. Hal Anderson, 680 CJOB's Hal Anderson, is up for best radio show personality. So we would like you to go to WinnipegNightlifeAwards.com and vote for Hal. The awards are coming up on Good Friday, in fact, at the Met. So that, I think I might go. Good luck, Hal. Yeah, good luck. I already voted for I had already voted for him anyway. Sorry, I didn't vote for uh, for you. It's okay, I didn't vote for you either. <laughs> 
clearly we weren't alone in not voting for one another. <laughs> so again, uh, 204-780-6868 for the tickets for Blackie and the Rodeo Kings. When was the band formed and in which city? And in the meantime, oh, we have a winner already, Forte? Jeff Forte and Master sure Control. Got to put my headphones on. He's <laughs> just all those phone calls. I couldn't imagine. I mean, the phone was ringing off the hook when you, before you barely got that question out. Dave Lacroix. Right on, Dave. Dave Lacroix. Congratulations. He answered. 1996 was the year they were formed, and they were formed in Hamilton. So. There you go. Enjoy those uh, tickets. Hopefully you can get down here by 4.30. Yes, because the show is tomorrow night at the uh, Burt, Burton Cummings Theatre. We'll take a pause. We've got weather forecast for you, and we're going to talk about Tourette Syndrome when we come back. He's Brett. I'm Greg. I'm Greg Mackling. He is Brett McGarry. It is a Friday afternoon, Mackling and McGarry. And one of the real honors of doing this job, Brett, in, in my mind, is to bring some things to focus into focus that the public may not have a general or broad understanding about maybe something we've heard of, but don't understand completely. And we're going to hopefully fill in some of the blanks as it pertains to Tourette syndrome in the next 45 minutes or so. The trek for Tourette is being held on March 26th across Canada. So we have some guests here who can talk a little bit about that event and Tourette syndrome in general. We have Lauren Perrin is here. He is the treasurer and a board of director for Tourette. Canada, as well as the Winnipeg chapter, and he is a parent of a grown child with Tourette. We have Nicole Savard, who is the mother of a child with Tourette syndrome, and that child is here as well, Tyler Horde, 13 years old with Tourette syndrome. Thank you so much, the three of you, for coming in today. And Lauren, I'll start with you, sure. and I think one of the, we, we, when Greg talks about maybe misconceptions or things that we don't really understand, maybe one of the, is one of the most common misconceptions that it's Tourette's syndrome and not Tourette syndrome? Yeah, everybody puts the plural on uh, on Tourette. It, it, it is Tourette syndrome. Uh, we don't use the plural, but uh, a lot of the public feel uh, easier using it. So it is Tourette syndrome. It's a neurological disorder. Uh, it's genetic, so it is passed uh, down uh, to, through uh, to us. And uh, um, a lot of the people that have, have Tourette syndrome um, can cope very well, but uh, usually uh, the youth we find need some assistance in schooling. Uh, there are other associated disorders that usually come with Tourette syndrome, such as ADHD, uh, obsessive compulsive, anxiety disorders. Those types of things usually follow with Tourette syndrome. So there's usually a multiple of, uh, of obstacles uh, that people have to deal with. And usually Tourette syndrome is diagnosed uh, when you're younger, although in years ago, uh, Tourette syndrome wasn't diagnosed as often. So you still find adults uh, in, their, in their adult years being diagnosed with Tourette syndrome, not knowing what they had. But usually around six or seven years old, uh, it's usually noticed in the school system. And you go through a period, a one-year period of assessment, and you have to have uh, vocal tics and... Um, also uh, uh, motion ticks as well. Uh, so you have to have that observed for a year before the diagnosis is given. And then you, once it's been given, uh, usually in Manitoba, we're very fortunate because we have a clinic, which is called the Tourette Syndrome Service. And usually once you're into the clinic, they will follow the youth through until 18 years of age. They will assist with uh, strategies for educators and also assist families in, in coping with it and understanding Tourette Syndrome. And of course, uh, Lauren, you understand this about as well as you can without having 
uh, Tourette itself, correct? You know, with with your son and, and the extensive experience, a lifetime of experience, your son's lifetime of experience with this. And Tyler, we don't want to talk about you and talk about this as though you're not in the room. But So I want to say hi to you on the air and let you know that uh, anything that we're talking about with you here, we're talking about you, but with you. And I just want to ask your mom a couple of questions and then we'll find out about how life is for you with Tourette syndrome. Fair to say? Yep. Okay. Thanks for coming, by the way. Do you uh, want to yeah. say hi to anybody before we get started? Hi. <laughs> I, oh, wait, no. Maybe whoever's listening right now, I'd say hi to you. Right on, Tyler. I love that. And uh, we know that your classroom, your grade seven class at South Point School is listening right now. Uh, they might. Yeah. Well, let's give <laughs> them a special shout out because yeah. if they are and you don't shout them out, you're going to be in trouble. And if they're not listening, they won't know that you did it anyway. So it'll be all <laughs> good. Nicole, tell us a little bit about your experience with uh, Tyler. And, and when did you start getting the sense that, that maybe Tyler was dealing with uh, something uh, a little bit unique here? Uh, it's pretty comparable timeline to what Lauren was just explaining. So when Tyler was actually in kindergarten, uh, starting school, struggles presented. Um, and so we began working with a, a child psychologist. Uh, we didn't want to jump right away to ADHD. We wanted to explore possibilities. But what we did know is he was very, very good at making animal noises. He could make the noise of any animal. Uh, and and so as we went through this journey and kind of process of elimination, we were brought to the possibility of him having Tourette. And I didn't know anything about it. Uh, and so uh, we were referred eventually to the Tourette Clinic. Um, and it was still at the St. Boniface Hospital at that time. And we had the assessment done and both the motor and the vocal tics, including those fantastic animal noises that Tyler could make, uh, presented and, and it, you know, that diagnosis was reached. Um, it was a good thing. He was in grade two, it was early grade two. So he would have been, uh, seven at that time. And, uh, where there was a lot of fear on the part of, you know, mama bear afraid of labels, uh, it was a relief to to have a diagnosis. And it was like, okay, now we know here's what's going on and I could learn more about it. And right away to the school uh, and track clinic started working together. The educator from the track clinic came into the school. Um, school was fantastic. And, uh, and things just got a lot made more sense, you know, and we were able to put supports in place and um, kind of make sense of what was going on and how to best support Tyler. And it wasn't only Tourette. It was ADHD. He does have OCD as well and uh, processing delay. So kind of that package deal, they refer to it as Tourette Plus. And so, uh, so this is Tyler. Can you maybe describe? You said that some that uh, they started to notice in kindergarten. Can you maybe talk about some? Give us a couple of examples, other than the you mentioned the animal noises. But what other sort of symptoms, I guess, were uh, being shown? Hmm. <laughs> that brings me back away. So I have to think about that. Um, 
Because you oh, mentioned, for oh, yes, example, the like sensory, a, the sensory processing. That was another piece of it. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. That's a, no, okay. Go ahead. That sensory was a processing. big thing. He couldn't keep his hands to himself. And so, you know, this is a struggle in school. And of course, kids are coming into kindergarten. They're learning you keep your hands to yourself and personal space and everything. And he wanted to touch. He was a sensory seeker. And so that was another piece of the puzzle. Uh, so the motor. Yeah, the motor. Uh, so so where we had the vocal tics happening with the animal noises and we had the motor tics happening as well. Also, um, the, uh, the sounding like he needed a Kleenex, a constant sniffling. Well, that's another uh, type of tick. Um, so... But the, the keeping the hands to himself was a big struggle. Um, and then we found out that he's tactile sensory seeker. That was one of them. Um, trying to think of what some of the others might have been. It was enough that right away school was saying, hey, we need to talk. Tyler, when you hear your mom talk about the things that, <clears throat> that cued her to what you were dealing with and you look back now and you hear your mom speak about it, does that all make sense? Do you, uh, yeah. Are you aware of these things now? Mm, I'm not, I wouldn't say, like, what kind of where, like... Do you realize that, <clears throat> that you do these different things and are you yeah. are, are you monitoring yourself to, to see if you're doing yeah. it? Is that part of the things not, that you do to manage it? Yeah, or? like not not all the time, but like I'm I'm trying to kind of hide them, sort of. Yeah? Mm -hmm. There's sometimes where yeah, maybe there, you'd some, like to do something and you stop yourself from doing yeah, it? Like, like there's some, some days I, I manage... Pretty well, I I'd say most of the time I can. Um, but what what uh what I do know is I'm I'm just like every other kid. Like there there's not really much difference because I I I'm still active like everyone else. Like I do swimming and I do curling. Uh, so yeah, like life is fun for me. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> I, I like great. my laugh. <laughs> <laughs> life. And, yeah. and, that, and that's great, right? And that's the way it should be. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you're aware that you're dealing with someone, yeah. you're wearing the shirt, you're wearing the toque, you're out yeah. there, man. You're you know, there's no hiding from the fact that yeah. you're dealing with this, right? Right. Right. Well, why don't we take a break? <clears throat> Brett's going to do the news, and then right. we'll talk a little bit more about your curling and your swimming, because I want to learn more about that, and we'll learn about the trek for Tourette. Have you done it before, Tyler? Uh, yeah, I've, I've done it quite a few times. I think five times yeah. now. Good for yeah, you. So we'll five. learn more about that. We'll learn all together. Sound like a good plan? Sounds good. All right. It is 126. We have... Tyler Horde, a 13-year-old with Tourette syndrome. Nicole Savard is Tyler's mom. And Lauren Perrin is here with Tourette Canada and the Winnipeg chapter. And we will continue our conversation after Global News at 1.30 on 680 CJOB. It's Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry on this Friday afternoon. And uh, so cool to welcome into the studio Tyler Horde. He's uh, my hero for today. <laughs> he uh, deals with Tourette syndrome, but we're going to tell you how he deals with it. He is a superstar. We're going to talk about the trek for Tourette. And we're visiting with his mom, Nicole Savard, and my old friend, Lauren Perrin, who I haven't seen for a long time. He's the treasurer and board director for Tourette Canada here <laughs> in the Winnipeg chapter. And uh, Lauren, 
Auburn has been dealing with a, a child with Tourette uh, for many years now. How, over 20, is it, Lauren? Yeah, yeah, How old's yeah. your son now? He's 27 now. 27. Wow, time flies. Uh, Nicole, we were speaking off air about the whole idea of stigma and concern about getting a diagnosis and even starting down the road of getting a diagnosis because there is a barrier there for parents. You can have some parents that don't want to know because they don't want their kids to be labeled with anything. And then there are other parents that just want to know if my kid's dealing with something. Let's get it out in the open. Let's find a diagnosis because without a diagnosis, it's impossible to treat or, or, or move forward. Where did you find yourself when you started realizing that, that Tyler might be on some sort of spectrum here? I started off fearful of labels. Uh, just thinking back to the way things were when I was in school and how kids who needed extra support, who, who needed extra uh, resources, things like that, seemed ostracized is my memory. Um, and And so I was fearful and yet wanted to know what was happening, wanted to understand it. And so as we went along, and, and it was from kindergarten to grade two, so it was a couple of years of a, a, a process or a journey before that diagnosis, the more that we went along, the more comfortable I felt with, let's just know what this is. And once we know, then we can then we can work with it. We can learn more and get those resources in place and um, – and talk to school, and then school will know, and school will know how to work with Tyler as well. And and so I'm so glad that that's, that's where I ended up in my attitude. Um, and I'm so glad that uh, we have the Trek Clinic here. And uh, so very thankful for how it all came together, but definitely glad that my my way of thinking shifted. For Tyler's sake, I'm, I'm so glad. Tyler, how do your classmates treat you? Do they treat you differently at all, or do they just sort of treat um, you like a normal kid? I I probably say they like, treat me like uh, any other kid. Yeah, it's it's pretty normal. Now you had the opportunity to do something uh, that I think is pretty extra special, and mm-hmm. that was that you were able to share your story with not only your classroom but your entire school. Is that right? Can you uh, tell us a little bit yeah. about what happened? Um, so I, I felt like the, the school should be able to know that, uh, so that way if, if they're kind of wondering, well, why, why is he acting kind of strange or is he okay? What's going on? So I, I thought, well, why don't I, I tell the school, um, and then that that way they're they're not worrying or or um yeah worrying and guessing what's going yeah. on coming up to the, with their own conclusions yeah. right about what you might be dealing with so you did a presentation for I'm guessing a few hundred kids right yeah were you nervous um actually no <laughs> I I wasn't really like nervous why does that surprise me that no. he wasn't nervous so what did you tell them what did you tell them do you remember what um, what you said uh, a couple of things that you might have shared uh one of the things <laughs> is I have uh ticks but not wood ticks <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you went to a good school for presentation yeah. good humor there. What kind of ticks? Like your mom told us a little bit earlier, but there might be people yeah. tuning so, in right now that weren't here for the first part of our discussion. So, uh, 
Tics can involve, like, snorting, uh, motor tics, and what, what was... Motor and vocal. Yeah, motor and vocal. Uh, so motor tics... Well, what do you have? I, I have, um, I have eye blinking. Okay. Um, and I have snorting. Uh, let's see, I... I also have animal noises. Uh, that that one doesn't really come up all the time, though. That that one's kind of, I I wouldn't say gone, but like just kind of hidden away. Um, and then the upper body. Uh, oh yeah, the, the neck rolling, upper body uh, twitching. It, it used to be really bad, um, like, there there were times where my neck would be really sore because, uh, because of it, but now, now it, it's kind of calmed down. I, although I have noticed that that comes up when I'm nervous mm-hmm. or anything, it, it can get bad, um. So do you think, do you think, Tyler... That by sharing this with your schoolmates, that you know, you say that the neck rolling is less common now. Mm-hmm. So now you're you don't have to hide this as right. much, and so then that takes away <laughs> some of your nervousness. Yeah. And so you've you've really really taken control over what you can t- take control of. And I apologize, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but right. I, I just love the fact that you've done this. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. And what about bullying? Because that's what you know what. At any level, mom, dad, that's what we worry about the most, right, is that our kids are going to get picked on. Do you get picked on at school for any reason? No, not, no. No? He's never come home upset to saying that someone's given him a hard time or anything. Uh, And even when he goes to day camps, you know, he goes to to different summer camps and Tim Horton's Mm -hmm. camp last summer and that, and he'll tell people, hey, this is what's (laughs) going on. He's never come home in tears or upset. And that's a great thing about what Tyler is doing because he's creating the awareness so then people have a better understanding. And a lot of our kids, uh, they do, are like a magnet for bullying. And and often we find that that's when they haven't told, they haven't explained their story, they haven't been able to give the information. People don't understand what they're doing, why they're shrugging, why they're doing the ticks. So that information is, is critical and I give Tyler a lot of credit for doing that. Lauren Perrin is the treasurer and board of director for Tourette Canada, as well as the Winnipeg chapter, and he is a parent of a grown child with <laughs> Tourette syndrome. And Lauren, uh, it, I mean, it's great to hear, Tyler, that uh, your classmates haven't picked on you. How was it for your child growing up? Well, we went through uh, we went through different scenarios from year to year. Each each um, each year, we had to have the educator from the clinic uh, come and talk to the school educators because you got a new set of teachers. So they had to have an understanding of his learning capabilities. Uh, he had a bit of a learning disability, uh, part of his ADHD and his lack of focus. Uh, so they had strategies that they could employ to help him, and they would transport that back to the school educators, hoping that they would build those strategies in for his year. Um, he, he was one, he wasn't like Tyler. He really wanted to keep it very personal. So he did have some years where the bullying came up, and we had to deal with that. So um, we went through those struggles. Uh, it was, uh, uh, and I think a lot of it was because he didn't want to have it exposed that he was different and had these uh, the, these ticks. 
And the ticks wax and wane, as Tyler has mm-hmm. mentioned. They uh, stress is, is one, uh, building up with an exam coming due or uh, even positive stress where you're excited about Christmas. Those things uh, will bring ticks back and forth. So they, w- they may go away for a bit and they may come back or a new one may come into the mm-hmm. mix as well. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting syndrome uh, and an interesting journey for our parents and our youth with threat syndrome. How did uh, your son sort of learn to to deal with it or learn to control it? Can it be? I guess maybe my question is: Can it be? Can, can you control it? Learn to sort of harness you, it? You, you shouldn't. You shouldn't control the ticks. You shouldn't try to hold them in um, because then that builds up. And what happens? We find out is a lot of the kids that do try and hold them in through this the school day then come home and they have to have a release. And uh, usually their re- release is outbursts and, uh, and as they're trying to get rid of their ticks and they're in a friendly environment. And so then that causes some family troubles as well because the release of ticks is not always the most positive atmosphere. Um, we were fortunate again because we have the Tourette Syndrome Service here in Winnipeg, the clinic, that he did a lot of group uh, monitoring. So I think it was once a month he did uh, group exercises and he got to see other uh, kids with Tourette syndrome. They talked with a psychologist. They had some exercises and they had some, some games and different strategies that they used during their process uh, to help motivate the, uh, the kids with their, uh, with their strategies on their own personal strategies on dealing with it. So those, those were very positive experiences with him and helped offset some of the negative ones that we had in, in some of the normal school stuff. Well, I think it's a fine example of why you have organizations like yours, like Tourette Canada, right? To give the resources and the understanding of what to expect. And also, Nicole, when we look at the comparison, when you said about hearkening back to your days in school, I remember that there were separate classrooms, right? Mm-hmm. For those that yeah. dealt with things like this. Uh, Brett, I don't know if, what it was like when you were uh, in school, but we definitely had a, a classroom where there were kids that were dealing with different stuff. Uh, they weren't integrated into to everyday classrooms. And I think that's the biggest difference. Yeah, I can't honestly. I, I was in a fairly small school, and I, I can't even remember. <laughs> to be honest, I'm sort of ashamed that I can't remember. I think we may have had uh, one or two kids who, who were dealing with whatever. I just, that's gone from my memory, so forgive me for that. Do you need an EA at all, Tyler? Or are you in the classroom all solo, all on your own? Um. There, there is an EA. Uh, she, she doesn't always help me. Uh, she, she's more for all their students. Uh, like there's, there's this girl in our class. Now she, she's not here today. Um, her name's Alani. She, she needs a bit of help. But, uh, other than that, yeah. It's great. I think it's fantastic that you're having such a terrific experience in school. We're going to learn about an event that will allow all of us to get involved and to support the fine work of of Tourette Canada when we come back. He's Brett McGarry. I'm Greg Mackling. We're talking about Tourette syndrome for another 15 minutes here on Mackling and McGarry. When we come back, we'll update your weather forecast and we'll learn about Trek for Tourette. 
146 on 680 CJOB. It's Brett McGarry. That's me, Greg Mackling. That's him. And we are joined by three guests in studio. Lauren Perrin, who is the treasurer and board of director for Tourette Canada and the Winnipeg chapter. He is also parent of a grown child with Tourette syndrome. Nicole Savard is here. She is the mother of a child with Tourette syndrome, who is also here, and that's 13-year-old Tyler and we're bringing awareness to Tourette Syndrome as the Trek for Tourette is being held on March 26th across Canada. Um, so I guess, Lauren, why don't we start with you on that? Tell us a little bit more about the Trek for Tourette. Sure. This will be our uh, ninth annual Trek for Tourette. It, it is a national uh, fundraising event, and uh, so it is held across Canada. We've, we usually choose the uh, fourth Sunday of March uh, to hold the Trek, and that's because the weather is unpredictable, Tourette's symptoms are and ticks are unpredictable, so it was kind of a, a, a natural fit for us to choose that date. So we've uh, we've had that, we've had it uh, in Winnipeg, and uh, we participate as as a chapter, as an affiliate of Tourette Canada. And uh, what happens is uh, uh, people that want to support the organization, uh, they sign up on the website, uh, register for the trek, uh, they uh, canvas uh, friends and uh, family uh, to make a few donations. And uh, then they come down and do a five-kilometer uh, trek on uh, Sunday, March the 26th. We, um, we group up at Assiniboine Park. Uh, so registration is at uh, 9 o'clock, and then the trek starts at 10. Once the trekkers are all back uh, to the Duck Pond Shelter, then we finish up with a barbecue hot dogs and some food and drink. And uh, so it's, it's kind of a fun day for the family. It's, uh, people uh, do come in teams and they have their own costumes and shirts uh, or they come individually and just want to support the cause. So it's a great way to uh, raise some funds because Tourette Canada is totally volunteer. It's a charitable organization. Uh, we receive no funding from uh, government for operations. So all the funds to operate the national organization, uh, it comes from donations and from our fundraising events. Nicole, how much uh, of a support has Tourette Canada been? And do you kind of do a, a powwow and a get-together with others that, other parents that, that have children with Tourette and, and that peer support idea? How does that help you? It's been fantastic, our local chapter here. So we are very connected with the Tourette Clinic here. Um, we're there every every two weeks. We see Dr. Shady, uh, and uh, there's a team there, though it's certainly a team approach. So uh, different different needs that we have, we see different people there. Um, so that's been wonderful. And also the chapter has hosted different socializing events over the years that we've had an opportunity to attend, and we've made some connections that way. Uh, and so it's, it's good. There's one... Um, one other mom who she and I connected with, and we keep in touch through Facebook and that, and she'll post updates, and I post updates, and we can see what our kids are up to. And uh, But it's really good, and we do participate in that Trek for Tourette each year. I think this is our fifth year that we'll be doing it. So that's also really affirming. Like, it's, you know, it's so wonderful to come together, and, and then we see people there that we know, and it's like, oh, what's your connection here? And uh, but just to see that support, and especially for for the kids who are there, then it's, you know, I I I hope what it, what Tyler comes home with and the other participants come home with is like, oh yeah, it's not just me. Look at, mm-hmm. oh, look at all these others here, and there's a big age range too of kids. Was that how you feel when you come back from these events, Tyler? Uh, yeah. Do you like? Yeah, do you have fun when you go to them? The, the, the these treks. Yeah. Do you it's, run it or? It's quite fun. 
Well, who's a celebrity that recognizes you each year? Do you remember? Must be Brett McGarry. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will moving forward for sure. Buck Pierce. So where can we get Buck to? Pierce? Oh, Buck Pierce. Is, uh, Buck Pierce. There you go. That's yeah. fantastic. And what do you what do you say to people that maybe want to come up to you and say, "Hey, do, what's the, what's the deal, Tyler? I heard you on the radio. What, would you feel comfortable with people coming up and and wanting to learn more from you about Tourette?" Well, yeah, I I I'd be um. I'd be willing to tell them, like, uh, I'm I'm ready. Like, if I if I can talk to the whole school about it, I I can talk to anyone about it. <laughs> I think Aww. it's fantastic, buddy. <laughs> so, if, if anybody wants to get involved with the trek for Tourette, which is once again coming up on March 26th, how do they get involved? Laura? It's very easy. Just go to the go to the national website, which is Tourette.ca. So, and all the information on the track is there. You can register. It's a, we got pledging software, so it's very easy. You can register as an individual. You can register as a team and uh, then come out and have some great fun. Uh, bring the family, bring friends and uh, help us raise some funds for Track Canada. I just got, I need to ask while we have about a minute left here. Uh, I know this is maybe uh, also a misconception, but... Uh, Tourette is often portrayed in for mm. comedic purposes by through the use of obscene language. Is that rooted in reality at all? I was wondering when that was going to Me come up. Me too. I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> uh, you know, there's 10% of uh, those diagnosed with Tourette syndrome that have coprealia, which is the uh, swearing. They, people call it the swearing disease. Um, so it's not every person that is diagnosed with Tourette syndrome has that. Uh, but it is a very real issue. And for those people that have Tourette syndrome, uh, that is a, a real stumbling block for them. Um, it's something they can't control. And um, we have one individual that's now, uh, we've had him at our conferences He in his youth years. He's now an adult out of Vancouver. Um, he was at our conference in Ottawa a few years ago. And he is afflicted with the swearing disease or the coprealia. And um, before he even gets into the airport, security are, are badgering him what's going on. And, and uh, even though mm. we've, uh, you know, given him cards to introduce that he's got Tourette syndrome, um, when he flies on an airplane, the, uh, the flight attendants have to be aware uh, so they can allay the fears of other people around him because it's something that he can't control. And uh, he does swear and he does shout it out. And uh, so that is very real to the people that have it. And it's a real stumbling block. It's, uh, um, and you can understand that if someone's walking beside you and shouting out obscenities for no reason, people around you feel uncomfortable. So we understand that whole environment. Um, so it is a very real issue, but it's only 10% of the population that are diagnosed with Tourette syndrome. Well, unfortunately, uh, we the clock has caught up to us, but I want to thank the three of you for coming in today. What, what a pleasure it was Very to welcome. meet all of you. Thank one you for having us. We've got to say one more shout-out to Grade 7 at? Uh, South Point? South Point, yeah. <laughs> South Point School. <laughs> I blanked out there for it's a second. okay, Tyler. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, all three of you. Thank you. Thank you. You're Once again, welcome. Tyler Horde, 13-year-old with Tourette Syndrome, Nicole Savard is Tyler's mom, and Lauren Perrin with Tourette Canada. The Trek for Tourette, once again, March 26th. One more time, Lauren, what's the website? Tourette.ca. It's 157. Global News up next. It's a Friday afternoon. Hope you're having a good one wherever you are, however you may be tuning in. Maybe it's on the radio player. Maybe it's cjob.com listening live or just on the old-fashioned AM radio, 680 CJOB, 680 on your AM dial, of course. He's Brett. I'm Greg. Getting ready for the weekend. You got any big plans this weekend, Brett? 
Um, I'm going to visit an old friend this evening, and then tomorrow I'm going to celebrate. It's uh, it's an unfortunate year for me and my friends. It's the year we all turn forty. Oh, and one of that one of them is uh, it's happening tomorrow. So uh, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, so long ago. <laughs> so that celebration is happening tomorrow. And Do where you, are you going to be during the day tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow I'll be at the Mid Canada Boat Show. That's right, RBC Convention Center from nine until one. Uh, with our friends at Alumacraft. We talked to them yesterday, so I will be there from 9 until 1, so come feel free to say hello, and you'll hear me at the convention center here on 680 CJOB. Our next guest is uh, one of the prides of our great city. So I was at a luncheon in Winnipeg. That's where I grew up. And I was about to leave the luncheon, and a mother came up to me, and she sort of tapped me on the shoulder on her way out. And she told me, she said her six-year-old daughter and her had watched our gold medal game on TV. And she said, uh, at the end of the game, she said, we stood up in our living room. She said, we sang the anthem with you guys. We had tears in our eyes. And I told her, I said, ultimately, that's what makes this so special for all of us. That's the voice of Jennifer Botterill, a member of the Canadian women's hockey team. 1997 through 2011, she's attended four Olympic Games, three-time Olympic gold medalist in 2002, 2006, and 2010, and then that silver medal in 1998. Five-time world champion and twice named the most valuable player at the world championships. Uh, Jennifer Botterill joins us now as she'll be making a return to Manitoba at the end of April as part of the ESO Cup. Thank you for joining us this afternoon, Jennifer. Oh, it's great to connect with you guys. We appreciate it very much. And the uh, ESO Cup coming to Morden later on this year. ESO Cup, that must be part of your history as well. Oh, it is. And it's uh, it's a great showcase for talent in, uh, in women's hockey. So it's the Midget uh, Female Championships. And both myself and Sammy Jo Small, also from Winnipeg and uh, an alumni from Team Canada, will be both be back uh, to help kick off the event. We'll be there on the Friday on April 28th. Uh, and I know that both of us are really looking forward to it. Jennifer, what is the age group for this tournament? Yeah, so it's the Midget Girls Championship, and they're the teams that qualify from each province uh, across Canada. And uh, so they're very elite teams, and uh, it's a huge goal for uh, for midget teams across the country. I know it's a very elite event. Uh, you know, I've been there in the past, and uh, it's like I said, it's a really special event. And, and I think it's something that Canadians should be really proud of and, and look forward, uh, you know, to, to following along. And I know that Morden uh, is really uh, thrilled to be hosting the event, and I think they're going to do an outstanding job. So, Jennifer, I, I always uh, group your name in with some of the uh, most elite athletes in our history of our province with Clara Hughes and Cindy Klassen and Manitoba. And I think you and I have discussed this before, but uh, mm-hmm. Manitoba in terms of female athletes seems to have really punched above its weight in terms of the international stage. Any guesses as to why that might be? Well, um, I'm not sure. I think, I think we've got a great place to grow up. And uh, if you think about um, the athletes that have uh, succeeded in female athletes, I know that all of us feel uh, like we're very proud uh, Manitobans. And so thank you for including me with uh, with that nice list of, of successful athletes. And I don't know if it's our culture in Manitoba that, uh, you know, it's we've been fortunate to be supported in different sports uh, that we grew up in and we love um, I guess activity, and uh, if I think back to the 
community that I grew up in, Wildwood Park, where we had an outdoor rink at the end of the street. And I had the chance to get out and play uh, hockey and get in and skate on the outdoor rink anytime that I wanted to. Uh, and I look back to, you know, Hockey Manitoba and the the coaches that I had growing up, whether it was high school or club teams that I played on. Uh, I think we've got really great people in the province and that support and encourage kids. And I know that that's part of the reason that both Sammy Joe and I are excited to be connected with this event to have the chance to share our experience a little bit and and hopefully inspire um, this future generation that has a lot of skill, a lot of talent, because I know that we both feel really fortunate for people we were surrounded by. So if we can uh, try to help and encourage some others, I know that we take a lot of pride in that. Of course, your dad was uh, and is one of the, the great sports psychologists on the planet, and your mom was an Olympian. So for those that don't have that sort of lineage, th- those genetics, why mm-hmm. is it important that we, we uh, encourage them, and, and how do we give them the mentorship uh, that they might not get from Mother Nature in order to compete at their best? Yeah, I think it's not. I mean, yes, I was very fortunate in the family department, um, but then they were always very supportive. Uh, but if you look, you know, I'm a big believer that sport um, is a is a tremendous development tool. And if I look at even the girls that I played hockey with, whether it's at that midget age group uh, or a touch younger or a little bit later, that you know, those kids that I played with from junior high to high school. Uh, they're still my best friends, you know, some of my closest friends. And, you know, some of us went on to play university hockey. Some were done, you know, shortly after high school. But I think that what we learned in sport was um, great groundwork for, you know, successful careers in business and, you know, being great mothers. And I think that those lessons are are so valuable. So I think the encouragement and support for youth in sport, uh, I think, is, is extremely important. Jennifer, the the uh, once again the banquet for the SO Cup that you'll be speaking at the awards banquet is the morning of Friday, April twenty eighth, at the mm-hmm. Access Event Center in Morden. Uh, will you be delivering a speech with Sammy Joe Small at the same time, or are you or are you going to each have your own presentation? Uh, no, we'll be presenting together. So we've uh, uh, we both do quite a bit of keynote speaking, and we've had the chance to uh, to be involved in events before, and we're very close friends. So uh, we've been working on a few details. So we'll go back and forth in the presentation, and uh, it uh, it'll hopefully complement each other uh, really well. So Jennifer, yourself, and uh, Cassie Campbell Pascal, uh, uh, broadcasters now commenting on the National Hockey League, and and of course of women's hockey as well. But your mm-hmm. experience with the Rogers, the hometown hockey, and, and getting involved mm-hmm. with that and working alongside Ron McLean. How, how's that been as uh, something that you're doing uh, when you're not busy uh, doing keynote speaking and, and mm-hmm. other opportunities? Oh, yeah. Thank you for asking. Uh, it's been a real privilege for me. Uh, Ron. Uh, I think is, uh, you know, I have the ultimate uh, respect for him. And if you look at the industry of broadcasting, uh, he's done so much, uh, you know, on so many different levels. And the one thing that I can always say about Ron from having traveled to do some different features and different work with hometown hockey um, is that Ron has time for everyone, you know, wherever he is in whichever community, if it's an airport or a restaurant, I have never seen him say no to anybody in terms of having that conversation, spending the time with him, sharing some stories. Uh, And I think there's no one like him in terms of his memory. And if you bring back one moment in hockey, he he can bring back 17 other memories. And uh, so I think uh, he's just uh, an incredible example of a great Canadian who has a lot of love and passion for hockey and for great people. So uh, certainly the Hometown Hockey Show has been great about celebrating uh, hockey, but, but celebrating a lot of great people. Uh, connected with the sport as well. So yes, it's been a huge honor and a privilege for me.
the stories that are told in that program and all around hockey, because hockey players are, are quieter, I find, versus some of the other professional athletes that we encounter. They're, they can be very humble. And for so mm-hmm. many of them, their roots and where they come from are so incredibly humble. Mm-hmm. Talk yeah, about some of the that's... favorite stories that you've told over the last little while. Oh, it's hard to pick favorites because, uh, you know, I think, you know, from uh, from the seasons that we've done, uh, I think we it's always been trying to narrow it down because we have so many to choose from. Um, you know, I think there are, there are some emotional stories, you know, on great families that have come together. Uh, uh, and I think that's it's just on on uh, on so many different fronts, whether it's coaches or family members or people in the community that have. Uh, had such an impact on on hockey players, whether it's female hockey players, players playing at the the national hockey uh, level, people that have played for the World Junior Team, uh, Olympic memories, and I think for each person, you have such a massive network of people that that helps you reach your level of success. And I think hometown hockey has done a really uh, nice job of of finding those people and giving them just a little bit of that credit that they deserve. Jennifer, Greg just raised an interesting uh, point or made an interesting observation that kind of I never really thought of, but he's on to something there when he says that hockey players do seem to come off as uh, being a bit more humble than, than other athletes. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that as to why that might be. Hmm. The reason, I don't know, but I, I think it's a credit to uh, the sport. And I think it's also reflective, uh, you know, of leaders in the sport as well that uh, have carried along perhaps tradition in, and, and respect. I think it's both for, uh, you know, the athletes in terms of the environments perhaps they've grown up in, uh, but also, like I said, a reflection, I think, of organizations and coaches. I, I'm also a believer that, that those things are top down. Uh, and I think it's something that, that hockey uh, should be really proud of, that they've done a great job of maintaining that class uh, and respect within athletes. Sammy Hafta, or Sammy, I'm looking at Sammy Joe, who's an incredible record here. She was the top goaltender at the Women's Worlds in 1999 and 2000. She finished her Mm -hmm. career with a 40-6 and record, leaving her third in all-time wins, trailing only Mm -hmm. Kim St. Pierre and Charlene uh, Labonte. And uh, Mm -hmm. 1.04 goals against average. The Jets could use some goaltending like that down the stretch. (laughs) But I digress uh, from that. This Sunday, we were speaking with uh, Bailey Bram earlier uh, this week, who got named once Mm -hmm. again to... Canada's national yeah. team for the World Hockey Championships. Manitoba, very well represented again with three uh, representatives on ice and, and as well as a coach. Talk mm-hmm. about the fact that there's the Women's Professional Hockey League, the Canadian Professional Women's Hockey League Championships in Ottawa this week. Uh, is this something that you could have imagined a decade ago? Well, you know, I think it's, we were hopeful that, that it would get to this point. You know, I think there's still work that we want to do to continue to elevate the game. Uh, but yes, we're very happy with how it's come along. Um, and yeah, we're covering the game uh, on Sportsnet in Ottawa. And we had a great uh, turnout for the All-Star game that was hosted at the, the Air Canada Centre uh, here in Toronto where the Leafs play. So again, they had a great crowd for that game. Uh, so I think that these are... Great venues uh, for the teams to play in, and, and certainly the level of hockey has continued to improve. And that's something that you know all of the the females that are playing in the game uh, should feel really proud of. That I think that each year, even if I look back to my career at every Olympics that I played in or every World Championship, that level continued to improve. So yes, if you look at the girls now that are competing for Canada, uh, that skill level um, is is continuing to get better. Um, and uh, so I hope you had a great chat with. Bailey she's uh 
She's good. And also that connections too. I mean, she's been involved with uh, Sammy Joe Small's hockey school in Winnipeg for a number of years. Uh, so Sammy and I are both so pleased to see how the Manitoba girls are doing. So in your profile here, it asks or, or alludes to a record that you have in NCAA hockey, the most consecutive games with a point and for most points in a hockey career. How many games is it that you scored a point in NCAA <laughs> oh. hockey? Uh, I think it was 81, if that, I remember correctly. That is a ridiculous record. That's absolutely <laughs> insane, 81 straight games with a point. Oh, well, thank I had lots of great players to play with, so I uh, I was very fortunate. Thank you. Jennifer, we always appreciate your time. We appreciate what you do to keep Manitoba at the forefront of the, uh, of the, of the sports stage. You make us proud every time you're on the air, and you'll be back here in Manitoba, if not before, definitely on Friday, April 28th, down in Morden at the Access Event Centre as part of the 2017 SO Cup, along with your good friend Sammy Joe Small. Yes, I will. Thank you so much. Pleasure to chat with you. Thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer Botterill joining us this afternoon on Mackling and McGarry. It is 2.18. Your forecast is coming up next. Uh, this is something that we've been trying to talk about all week, Brett. <laughs> I think it was Monday this came across my desk, courtesy of your fellow coach potato, Jeff Braun. He found it very interesting, passed it along, and I find it quite fascinating to learn what Norway's national broadcaster is doing in order to make sure the comments on its website are informed ones. <laughs> At least doing their best to do that. Comments, comment sections on websites uh, are often a source of entertainment for many. You don't They're say. also often a source of... <laughs> I think I seem to recall you saying it hurts my heart. I think the, the quote was when well, reading ra- some of the comments. Racially divisive... Uh, commentary, certainly politically divisive, and just downright mean at times. And one of the questions that often comes up when you see a chain of comments is, did you actually read the material attached? Did you read the article? And sometimes it's perfectly obvious that the individual commenting did not read the article attached. True. True indeed. No idea. They just see a headline or they see a picture and they just... Ah! Keyboard warriors, we like to call them. Yeah. And, well, at least for some of their stories, one of the national broadcasters in Norway, it's NRK Beta, says that uh, no more of that. Oh. What we're going to do is we're going to conduct a quiz. Really? Yes. And it's sometimes three questions that you need to answer that will actually give an indication, some sort of proof... That you read the article, and without passing the quiz, you don't get to comment on the posted article. That's interesting. I'd be curious to know what what the the consumers of this particular brand think of that. I would also wonder <laughs> how much time these employees have that they now have to add a quiz on top of posting the story. They got to come up with a three question quiz. I would be annoyed if I worked there. But it's an interesting solution because I think the comment section, yeah, you mentioned it, often gets, it almost sounds silly to say it. It gets really mean, but it's true. It gets mean, mean-spirited, and, and there's quick. no reason for that. And quick. Yeah. Yeah, they can really, the the comment sections on news websites can can fall apart very quickly. News websites, Facebook and Twitter, of course, but on YouTube? Yep. Really fast. They they turn they can turn homophobic, they can turn, like I said, racially divisive. Uh politics, that's easy, right? 
I mean, it's so divided in North America right now between the left and the right. It's maybe never been more divided in, in decades uh, on people on the opposite side of the political spectrum. But to, to see comments degenerate so quickly, I think, is frustrating. And I think good on this uh, website, NRK Beta, for taking this step to make sure that it's a little more civilized out there because it's not always easy to keep things civilized. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great way to put it. You, we, it's one thing to have an opinion or to, to express a strong opinion. I have no problem with that, but you don't have to be a, a jerk about it. And I think that that's one of the one of the things that comes with computers or technology. You can do it from the safety of wherever you are, the safety of anonymity, right? You know, I can pick up my phone right now and go on some website and say whatever I want under whatever name I want, really. A collection of characters, miscellaneous numbers and letters compiled into random sort of order, and that's your ID. Yeah, it was something like B Mega 1977, <laughs> which was my original handle on the Instantgram uh, before I changed it to Brett McGarry. You can follow me on the Instantgram, by the way. Uh, but uh, yeah, that you just random letters and numbers saying the worst thing you can think of. I think a lot of times people probably do it just because they think it's funny, right? I'm just gonna say this. Ha ha ha! Look at the, look at what I just wrote. Ha ha ha! Let's see if it stays on the website. But they're never not not thinking about who it might hurt. Well, I commend uh, once again this uh, website for taking that step. I wonder if this will become more commonplace. I'd like to see it a little bit more commonly. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, I believe he's in the building. He's sitting patiently in the bullpen waiting to come and visit with us as he does every Friday at 2.30. We're going to talk about stuff, our addiction to stuff, and our addiction and our, our inability to hold on to things and to not throw them away. We'll have that conversation after Global News at 2.30 on 680-CJOB. I would have been out here a little bit sooner, but they gave me uh, the wrong dressing room, and I couldn't find any place to put my stuff. And I don't know how you are, but I need a place to put my stuff. So that's what I've been doing back there, just trying to find a place for my stuff. You know how important that is. That's the whole, that's the whole meaning of life, isn't it? Trying to find a place for your stuff. That's all your house is. Your house is just a place for your stuff. If you didn't have so much damn stuff, you wouldn't need a house. You could just walk around all the time. That's all your house is, it's a pile of stuff with a cover on it. You see that when you take off in an airplane and you look down and you see everybody's got a little pile of stuff. Everybody's got their own pile of stuff. And when you leave your stuff, you gotta lock it up. Wouldn't want somebody to come by and take some of your stuff. They always take the good stuff. They don't bother with that crap you're saving. Ain't nobody interested in your fourth grade arithmetic papers. They're looking for the good stuff. That's all your house is. It's a place to keep your stuff while you go out and get more stuff. The great late George Carlin and nobody put stuff into perspective. And I mean stuff overall and, and stuff in general in perspective better than George Carlin. He's Brett. I'm Greg. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen joins us now. And Brett and I had a conversation about stuff, about books and movies and physically holding on to things. But George mentions it there, Dr. Cyrus, the crap that we keep, <laughs> including our fourth grade arithmetic. Why do we hold on to this stuff? It's a good question. And it starts young. I think, you know, to get started, we should talk about usually our first thing that we ever own that's just ours. Maybe, I don't know what yours was. Mine was a blue blanket. With a satin trim. 
that felt good on my cheeks when I was holding it and putting it over my eyes at scary movies and I my whoopee. Mm-hmm. My whoopee. <laughs> Is that what yours was called? My I don't whoopee. think I don't think I had a name for mine. It was just my maybe blanky. That yeah, was maybe blanky. blanky. Did yeah. you did you have an object or I uh, I had a little stuffed animal named Rascal. Rascal. Yeah. There you go. <clears throat> it was a dog with big floppy ears. Yeah. Had a green uh I believe he had a green shirt over top. Uh, yeah, that's, I might still have him somewhere. Do you know where he is? I think I do actually. You know, know where, well, you it. are amongst good company, uh, older children, even boys stop with their stuff, that, that particular object at school age, cause there's pressure, but they still know where it is normally. They still know where it is. It's still important. And usually this is the first thing that we collect. This is the, and it has emotion and it has emotion. I mean, if you can imagine, Rascal, or what did you call yours? My whoopee, like, my you, blanket. Yeah, if you could imagine it getting burned or cut up or something Stop. like that. <laughs> You're supposed to ease my trauma, <laughs> Dr. Cyrus, not increase it. How dare you? <laughs> Leave my whoopee alone. <laughs> there we go. That's it. That's that's it. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Need I say more? I am. I'm genuinely like uh, shaking it and shivering. Here. Shivers, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yes. So we, it starts young, and it helps us. It helps us to soothe ourselves, to to get through life, to get through difficult situations, to get through the needle at the doctor, or the goodbye to mom and dad at the daycare door, or you know different things like this. And um, and if you don't have one. You know, you get more anxiety and depression in kids, and so it's important, and uh, and and it continues on in life. It keeps going. So the the question that uh, that the conversation that Greg and I were having was specifically about a movie called Inception from 2011. I think it was was the year, and I had loaned it out to one of our colleagues, and you know what? Had it never been returned, I might not have ever really cared but once it i actually figured out oh this is missing i had to track it down like i needed to find it i needed to learn because the person i thought had it thought he returned it and then i had loaned it out to someone else so it was really bothering me that this movie that i haven't watched in three years uh suddenly i need to have it back so why do we have this kind of need to get our to hold on to our stuff you know it's it's funny um to tell you the truth, the, the the exact answer of why is probably a bit challenging, and I don't know if we know uh, exactly why, but it's interesting to kind of understand all the different ways that it plays with us, that's for sure. And it seems to be uh, similar in some ways to our attachment to people. Um, you know, like when you fir- get your first object, uh, that that will be, uh, or rascal, you know, it's usually a replacement for your parents. It's a... It's a, a, a are in psychology, in fact, we call people objects sometimes. There's object relations, and it's relationship with objects and people. Uh, so and from sometimes in a psychological perspective, there's not much of a difference between our relationship with our mother and and uh, rascal or wooby. And, and this continues on to anything that we own, anything that there's just more of an attachment to, uh, to something that belongs to you. And it seems we want the original. Uh, if you... Uh, if I bought you Inception, it might just not be the same, not quite the same as the one that you gave away. Uh, you want that one back. It would still bother him wondering <laughs> where, in fact, that collector edition of Inception had ended up, right? That's right. And if you take a child and you 
buy them another Whoopi that's exactly the same and you try to change it on them, they uh, they get upset and it's like, well, it's exactly the same. It's even better. No, they want their original back and uh, that's that's not mine. And so we get it, we get attached to it in the, in the very same way. Uh, another word in psychology for this is essentialism, kind of the placement of emotions and, and feelings onto objects. And we get it in positive ways and we get it in negative ways. I mean, if you get a, a suit, it feels really good, but then when you find out that it was used in a you know, uh, for somebody's coffin, then it kind of gives you a different feeling. Um, it gives you, it's like, maybe I don't want this suit anymore. Or if you find out that an object was owned by a murderer or, or you know, this is the T-shirt of, of a murderer or something like that, you all of a sudden get a revulsion over that. Well, uh, just last weekend, someone paid over $200,000 for Hitler's phone, there you go. his field phone. <laughs> why, why would anybody want that? <laughs> It's it's a, well you could ask, <laughs> that's a different question why you want it but it definitely renders it emotional. This is just a phone. It's a piece of plastic or whatever I guess. But uh, you know it's um, it's got emotions attached to it. And this is something uh, that people do all the time. Uh, we are we attach and and if you look at advertising or business, it's marketing. Uh, t-shirts. People all of a sudden had a revelation that if I put my store brand on the T-shirt itself, an obvious place that the value of the T-shirt goes up. It's not just cotton anymore. It is something special, and and the feelings that are associated with that company are now somehow imbued into me by wearing it. And um, so we we benefit from it in some way. It, it's a kind of this uh, emotional attachment to objects that starts young and continues on in very strong and and, and various ways. So is this why we see uh, people fans of the Winnipeg Jets mm-hmm. and other sports teams uh, feel? obligated almost to wear the team colors, to wear the crest, to be a part of the team, even though you're clearly sitting on the sidelines, <laughs> but we want to look as close as we can as is possible to the players on the ice. And it, it creates some sort of visceral mm-hmm. attachment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it starts off with soothing yourself, right? Like, can you soothe yourself? And, uh, you know, children can't, uh, they, they looked at monkeys, for example, and these monkeys, they uh, they took, you know, they didn't have their mothers, so they gave them a wire frame with, uh, you know, a milk bottle coming out of it, and they would hold on to the wire frame, and they would drink the milk, and the wire frame was kind of supposed to be their mother. And these monkeys got really sick. And then they had another wire frame, and they covered it with a soft cloth. And so the monkeys held on to the soft cloth as they uh, drank the milk. And those monkeys were psychologically fine. Um, they did okay. You know, it, you get attached. You think we think that our attachment to people is sometimes kind of uh, special, but in some ways, it's 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 a relationship with an object that we can identify, and it helps us to soothe ourselves. It helps us to feel connected, and you can do that in lots of different ways, including sports paraphernalia, even when it's very expensive. Maybe in particular when it's very expensive, and uh, you can feel connected with that team and all of the good things that are associated with that team, and you can kind of. Forget about yourself. It helps you to soothe yourself. It helps you to feel better. Talking to Dr. Cyrus Dirksen of Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates about stuff and why do we have this need to collect stuff and to keep stuff. If we've read a book and we loan it out, why do we need it back? We've already read the book. Uh, so we're going to continue this conversation after your forecast because I want to ask Dr. Cyrus about there's one thing to, to have stuff and it's another thing to have lots and lots and lots of stuff where it um, becomes 
problematic, maybe even into hoarding territory. So we'll I'll ask him that after your forecast. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. I'm Brent McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. And Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is here. His website, drcyrus.com. He is a psychologist, and we are talking about stuff specifically the stuff that we collect and hang on to. And we played a clip earlier, Dr. Cyrus, of George Carlin talking about all the the stuff, all the crap that we hang on to. And he referenced, for example, I think something about fourth grade arithmetic, uh, that we have our fourth grade arithmetic paper or sheet or whatever we have. Now, I don't know specifically what I have, but I know that in my closet I have you know, boxes of stuff that I haven't looked at for years. And some of it is old schoolwork that dates mm-hmm. back to probably mm-hmm. grade four. Mm-hmm. And I always say to myself, I got to start throwing some of this crap out. What? Am, why do I <laughs> hang on to it? And yet I hang on to it. Mm-hmm. Why do people do that? It's an interesting thing. I mean, even when you're, you take a picture of somebody's object, uh, uh, if I took a picture of Rascal or something like that and then ask you to cut up the picture... You'd pro- you would start to have a stress response we, that we would be able to measure. Even if that picture was blurry beyond recognition, it was a picture of Rascal. You knew it. You could, nobody else could know it. And you would still have a stress response when cutting up that picture. Uh, it is a, it's an emotional thing. It's not just a fourth grade math test. It's a moment in your life that brings up emotional uh, emotion. And... You know, before the break, you were bringing up hoarding. For some people, this emotional reaction is, uh, is, is greater. Their attachments is greater. Usually it comes from some kind of trauma uh, or a particular, like it's often related to obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, but the long and the short of it is these, uh, these people who are kind of hoarding, generally speaking, have a much greater attachment, much greater emotional response to um, objects. And so when you take a, a somebody who's got that kind of attachment and you start throwing away their stuff, it starts to feel similar to somebody dying. They have a grief response that's, you know, very significant sometimes. And um, so it's not just the same as somebody else who's not kind of in that category who is throwing away things. Uh, it's very different for them. And, you know, we think, well, if we just clean up the house, it'll be fine. Uh, it's not the case. Because they have this, you know, inner quality about them where they attach to objects, uh, they will generally start just filling up the house again. Jeff Courier mentioned his brother-in-law, I think, right, Brett? In Ottawa, who has a double car garage, never parked two cars, maybe never parked one in it, mm. because he's got newspapers amongst other things. And that's a really common thing, I think, that goes back a couple of generations. Uh, people that will hold on to magazines mm-hmm. and to newspapers. Is, mm-hmm. Are they marking time? What are they marking? And, and why this compulsion to hold on to those sorts of items? Do we know that, that there's anything different as in regard to specific types of items like magazines and newspapers and that sort of thing? I, you know, the specifics of what people take, I mean, generally speaking, when you think about the reasons why you have a feeling, uh, humans are just generally very bad at knowing why we have feelings. You know, uh, so if if somebody says, you know, I got a newspaper and I can't throw it out, and it's like, well, because, you know, one day I might want to do some research on my life or something like that. That's probably not the reason. Um, mm-hmm. It's we're just Our emotions don't come with a caption that tells us why we're having that feeling. Generally speaking, you have a feeling and then you look around and you try to come up with some reasonable reason for why you're having that feeling. 
uh, to try to explain it. So this person's keeping the newspaper and then they probably try to come up with a reason on why this is reasonable because it makes them feel better about keeping the newspaper. The truth is they probably are having just a horrible time. They experience a lot of negative feelings when they throw probably a lot of things out. And anything that, that seems to be okay and then it's not completely destroyed, although some people do hoard almost garbage, uh, they have trouble, they have an emotional reaction. They, they read that newspaper, they held it in their hand, it is theirs. How, how now you got to throw it out? Anytime you own something, you get a more of an emotional attachment to it. Every time you hold something, there was an auction, they did a study at an auction. If they had people hold a cup for 30 seconds versus 10 seconds, they paid more for it in the auction. Uh, just holding things gives you an emotional attachment to it. And for hoarding, it's much stronger than what we might think. Can you, can, can somebody becoming a hoarder, can that be recognized? Like, is that something that kind of happens over time and, and it be like a, like a snowball that becomes an avalanche, so to speak? You know, I think usually it starts, uh, you know, fairly young and usually it's associated with, uh, you know, trauma. And oftentimes people who are hoarding often become socially isolated. So uh, part of the reason is their attachment, um, maybe this is a bit more my opinion, uh, their attachment to the objects is almost as strong as their attachment to people. Who needs people? And the people seem to be a problem because every time they come around, they start talking about throwing away things, which is kind of like the same as, you know, murder or something like this in terms of their emotional reactions to throwing these things out. So, you know, who needs that? And so it becomes kind of shameful. It becomes isolating. And uh, so, I mean, can you see it happening? Yes, uh, especially obvious to other people. But it's got the same kind of feeling as as an addiction or something like that. It becomes hidden, it becomes shameful. And uh, so part of it is to be able, approachable to the person and help work at it on their pace. Um, uh, but that that's challenging because these things are often, uh, you know, go deep and it takes time and it can often wear out the patience of people around them. For me, it started out with uh, holding on to ticket stubs to hockey games, football games, concerts. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as I got older, I could afford the concert t-shirt. And so then I needed the (laughs) t-shirt to prove that I was there. And then when I'd go to California, I'd go to Chicago, whatever, well, I got to have the hat or the t-shirt so everybody knows that I was there. At least this is my my thinking, right? My summarization in my head as to why I, I feel compelled to buy these things and to hold on to them. And then now I've got this 72 MGB convertible that sits in one half of my garage <laughs> that I haven't driven for 11 years. But I went to Vancouver to get it and I drove it home. One of my grandfathers gave me the car yep. and my other grandfather and I drove halfway across the country together in the car. Mm-hmm. And my wife wants me to get rid of that thing so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unimaginable for me to see that car leave mm-hmm. its spot. Yeah. There would be a significant measure of grief. You would have to go through a grief process to give that up. And it would probably be similar to grieving those relationships and the loss of those relationships of the people who Can were you with you. Can you please write there. this down? Can you give me a note for my <laughs> wife? <laughs> I'll, uh, do you have a checkbook? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just play her the tape. Yeah, it's all good. That. Keep talking. More of that sort of stuff. <laughs> you would have a sig. <laughs> Just kidding. You, you'd have a significant grief, likely a significant grief reaction. And um, and that would be, you know, this like similar to giving up those people. I mean, when, when people come to me and they're grieving something and um, oftentimes 
you know, as part of that process, there is a part where you kind of open up that box and you look at those objects again. When people are avoiding grief, when people aren't moving past things, you know, it's like, well, we have to actually go into this and and help you to, uh, you know, experience these feelings and let your brain actually go through a, a grief process, which is a natural process. Um, it's not pleasant. It's upsetting. Um, but it's kind of the way our brain operates. We slow down. We stop because when you're grieving and things are, that means things are changing and it's not good to make decisions when things are changing. So we, our grief stops us for a while and then um, our, our brain rips itself apart, puts itself back together in a way that makes sense without that person or that thing that you're grieving. And then when your brain starts to get a handle on itself again, you can start making decisions again and moving forward and envisioning a future without that person, object or experience. And uh, it's a painful process, and uh, for especially for people with a lot of empathy, they seem to have a higher rate of hoarding. People with a lot of empathy are more likely to place these emotions onto objects, just like they're more able to relate to people and be more attached to people. And so they have a more higher. So it's a, it's a, you know it's a good thing you know you're you're empathic, but it makes it hard to sometimes let go because it's a strong feeling. Unfortunately, we have to let go of this conversation mm-hmm. because we're out of time. DrCyrus.com is the website. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is a psychologist with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates, and we've been talking about our our need to hold on to stuff. Thank you very much, Dr. Cyrus. Our last crack at conversation for the week. So we head towards 4 o'clock and the news with Julie Buckingham and Richard Cloutier. They'll get you home and forum. They've got news, sports, weather, financial, entertainment, and, of course, traffic and weather together. And it was the weather piece of your last broadcast there, Brett, that mm-hmm. has me a little bit concerned as we look ahead to Monday, a glorious weekend, essentially. But the idea of more snow, I know it's crazy to imagine that we would go through March without some sort of precipitation, but it's been a while since we had any significant precipitation in the form of snow. Yeah, uh, We were speaking with Tristan Field-Jones, our colleague in the newsroom, and he's kind of our resident uh, weather expert, for lack of a better better word. He chases storms in the summer, has, has done a lot of work studying uh, weather in, back in his university days, and he said, guys... Uh, don't get excited about rain. Uh, we don't want rain. We Why is want that? snow. He says that the moisture content, of course, waters, pure water, snow will melt slower and therefore reduce any sort of uh, increased concern as it pertains to flooding. Okay. we've been talking about the flood risk being elevated this year. In fact, we're at the risk of major flooding if things go the wrong way in the Red River Valley and throughout southern Manitoba. So he says, really, if we get major precipitation henceforth until the snow is all melted, we really want it to come in the form of snow. So that sounds like an unusual thing to be doing, but shall we pray for snow on Monday versus rain? I guess so, yeah. I mean, when it's going to be expected to be two degrees tomorrow, two degrees on Sunday, then, yeah, there's a good chance that this precipitation coming our way, which looks like uh, Sunday night is when it might begin. Maybe there's a slight chance of shower Sunday night, but then Monday is when it looks like this uh, system could be coming through. Uh, Just also a heads up for tomorrow, it looks like it's going to be windy as well, Mm. because that's why... Anytime, that's one of the things about winter, you know, when it's when it's really cold, and I know it's not cold right now, but often it'll be like minus 20, and then the forecast will say, but five days from now it's going to be minus two. 
Well, usually it's because there's an 80K wind out of the south or something like that. But so they might be a little windy tomorrow, but still two degrees is nice. I mean, it's March. It's I mean, it's getting to the point now where I've kind of had it. Yeah, it's uh, we're going to have hodgepodge of stuff for sure, but uh, I've had it too. I'm done. I'm ready for spring without question. In our last segment, the last half hour, we spoke with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen about stuff. And I already forgot the name of your little guy. What was his name? Ridley? Rascal. Rascal. Yeah. And so are you having Rascal flashbacks now or are you doing okay? And <laughs> I'm really shocked that you carry around some of your schoolwork. I don't from, carry it around. I just have it. In, I, I just you have, have it. it. Do you have it at your parents or do you have it in your apartment? It's in my apartment. So how many times do you figure you've moved that box of stuff? Oh. Over the last decade. It's got to be a handful of times or more. Maybe once into my buddy's place and once into the girlfriend's place and then into our next apartment and then our house and then we broke up. So I moved. Yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's been, it's been more a than a handful. handful of times, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm one of these totes guys, those Rubbermaid totes. Yep. My wife wishes that my car and my dozen Rubbermaid totes would all end up in a giant green receptacle. <laughs> That would go away and never come back. Really? Oh, yes. And I've carried these some of these totes around with me for two decades. It's the concert t-shirts. It's the record albums that I refuse to get rid of, even though I don't use or hook up my turntable any longer. I should give them away is what I should do. But as Dr. Cyrus said, there's an emotional attachment to almost each and every one of these things that I hold on to. The concert t-shirt. I can remember going to the show, who I was with, etc. cetera. Uh, there's no way the shirt fits me. Not even close <laughs> to any chance that it fits me. But the idea of throwing out my 1984 Van Halen World Tour t-shirt, it makes me ill. makes me sick to my stomach. I will not do it. I, when I think of the the school stuff, for example, like I, I have two closets in my, my bedroom, which is kind of weird. That's, I always thought that that was more of a new place kind of thing. Like I live in an old building, but it has two closets. Mm -hmm. The his and and hers closets, that was uh, fairly common in the older buildings built around the twenties and the thirties. Okay. So the one closet is where I keep all my clothes and I don't have enough clothes to fill two closets. So my second closet is where I keep all my crap. That's basically, it's just a closet full of crap. And the only things that I access in there somewhat regularly are my my very small collection of Christmas decorations that I bring out for Christmas and put them away in January. Other than that, it's all stuff that if you were to throw into a black hole, I probably wouldn't even noticed because I haven't I don't remember the last time I looked at any of it and yet the odd time that I have tried to bring myself to go in there and say okay it's time to throw some things away I I can't it's like there's a force field protecting the closet I try to reach in there and I just can't I stop well, I think Dr. Dirksen gave us a great a reason why. There's an emotional attachment to that stuff. It takes you back in time. So Brett had Rascal. Yes, he was a little stuffed animal, a little doggy, with big floppy ears over the top of his head. I had my Wooby, which was my blanket. <laughs> I don't have it anymore. Uh, my mom got rid of that and probably caused me undue trauma, but that's another conversation for another day. What did you have? What was your thing? What was your first thing? Send us a text, 780-6868. We'd like to hear from you. What was your first item 
Your first thing that you remember, what was your comfort toy or maybe you had a special name for your blanket or or something else? Let's have a little bit of fun as we wrap up uh, this week with Mackling and McGarry. And to make it real fun, we're going to give something away right now. We're going to give away to the first caller that can tell us what annual, what year will the Winnipeg Comedy Festival be celebrating this season, this year, as they launch April 3rd here in Winnipeg. We've got two tickets to the Late Night Gala April 7th at Pantages Theatre. The first caller that can tell us what year, what annual Winnipeg Comedy Festival are we in, are we going to be celebrating this year in 2017, gets the ticket. 780-6868 if you want to go to the Late Night Gala April 7th for the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. He's Brett, I'm Greg. We've got traffic and weather together coming up. Having my banana to get me through the afternoon here. You didn't have to bring it for me today. <laughs> I brought my own. Yeah. I had, uh, Greg was hungry the other day and I still had a, I had a banana on my desk. Hungry? In the newsroom. You heard my tummy growl from <laughs> seven feet away and you said, G-Mac, are you hungry? <laughs> yes, I'm hungry. I forgot my lunch. Brett went to his desk and brought me not only a banana, but it was an organic banana. <laughs> yeah. Even better. Yeah, I like, I think I, I, I don't like, I don't get a lot of organic stuff, but uh, I seem to like the organic bananas. I like the better. organic bananas they, as they, well. They, they, you got to go through them quickly though. Oh, they, they go, uh, <laughs> they go bad fast, right? Yep. Uh, Jeffrey Forche, did we get a winner for those tickets to go to the gala, the late night gala for the Winnipeg Comedy Fest? We sure did. Who's our winner? Our winner is Parm Sidhu. Right on, Parm. Parm Congra- congratulations. You're going to the Late Night Gala April 7th at Pantages Theatre. I want to thank our friend Lara Ray, who was in studio on Tuesday, telling us about this 16th annual Winnipeg Comedy Festival. And your text messages are pouring in on your stuff at 780-6868. Other than my blankie, I had a Cabbage Patch doll, which had about a toony amount of hair on the top of its head that went straight up. I blamed everything on the doll. And when my sister came around four and a half years later, my parents let me name my sister after the doll. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Here's a text. My childhood keepsake is an old pillow I named Dusha, spelled D-O-O-S-H-A. Still have it. I've left explicit instructions that when my time comes, it is to go with me to the other side. Wow. Under threat of haunting. (laughs) (laughs) Should my wish not be carried out. Thank if I have for... anything to do it, Dusha will be right there with you, listener. I appreciate that very much. Hey, guys, would selling your stuff, if it had any value, help you get rid of it? Cleve asking us that at 780 Yeah, You know what? I collected hockey cards, sports memorabilia for a long, long time. I don't really collect that stuff anymore, but I never did it because of the increased or potential increase in value. So, uh, no, that's a good question. Lots of people asking for my record collection <laughs> and or my turntable. I'll take that under consideration. The record albums are likely staying with me, just for the record. I have a bunch of comics as well that I that I bought, and there was a there was a brief time I think where I thought, well, maybe this will be worth something someday. But I've since abandoned that hope, and I just enjoy the comic books. Uh, let's see here. This one's awesome, uh, Brett, because uh, I have a, a t-shirt or a, a blanket full of Winnipeg Jets t-shirts, mm-hmm. like a quilt. Yep. Took all my son's cadet t-shirts and made them into one quilt. 
Ooh. quite the treasure. Only one thing now. I think that's one of the best ideas is taking your old T-shirts, cutting them up into squares, and then having them made into a quilt. You can hang it onto a wall, fold it, put it on your couch, whatever you want to do, and you can incorporate a dozen or more t-shirts it's a really cool idea yeah and actually that way you still get to enjoy them because as you pointed out these old t-shirts that you have collected over the years you can't wear them i have i have a couple of t-shirts that i would like to wear but but uh you know you're a little uh, taller now yes i've I've grown a little (laughs) bit taller yes that's why they don't fit anymore great suggestion from a listener as well says hey gmac uh let your kids wear the van halen t-shirts i think that's a good idea oh look at that pass it on i like that uh 322 on 680 cjob will continue with your text after traffic weather sports and news all starting in two minutes now you've been sitting here this entire time this entire afternoon there's some magicians in the newsroom that get your newscast ready for you at the top of the bottom of the hour. Yes, very much How appreciate that. How on earth that. did you end up with a story about almost the exact thing we've been talking about <laughs> for the last hour? A mild-mannered civil attorney in Connecticut known as a comic book collecting superhero about to display his collection of more than 18,000 comic books at the Metropolis Gallery in New York. John Burke, this guy collecting for the love of it, not for the money. How did that end up in the newscast today? Just uh, blind luck, I guess. And it's funny uh, how that it's, works. It's fantastic. And again, this guy, he owns Action Comics number one, which features the first appearance of Superman. Detective Comics number 27, which features the first appearance of the Batman. And he is finally going to sell his collection at an online auction. And it's probably going to net him uh, well over six figures. I would have into well into the six figures for sure. Those comics are worth a lot of money. In fact, we've been talking about stuff since about two thirty two when Dr. Cyrus joined us. We were mm-hmm. talking about our need to hold on to stuff, and we wanted to ask you about the stuff that you've held on to. My childhood toy. Uh, this coming from seven eight zero six eight six eight. No name on this was a Corgi Batmobile that was purchased from Zellers in Westwood back mm-hmm. around nineteen sixty seven. And I'm and I looked it up. The diecast metal one. I had that same one. It was so awesome. Really? Yes. He says although I don't have the original one, I purchased a couple of. Uh, over eBay, on eBay, over the years. Still love the car to this day. Got a great one. You went back and forth with Christine. Christine says to us, the first object I had was a stuffed polar bear I called Puppy. I had him till about six years ago when my ex threw him in the garbage when I was away. I asked Christine, is that the reason why this person is now your ex? And she says, no, he is my ex for a very different reason. But whatever the reason, it's a good thing that this person is now your ex. How dare he? No kidding. Uh, Bill said, in response to some of the conversation, we were talking about concert t-shirts. Great ideas to cut them up. Don't shred them, but cut them nicely into squares, and then you can turn them into a quilt if you have someone in your life that can perform that service for you or do it yourself. Bill says, I had a picture of a wolf on a shirt. Cut it out and put it in a picture frame. It looked better that <laughs> way than a shirt, and I'm not kidding. Thanks for that, Bill. That's interesting. The, yeah, those wolf T-shirts, that's like the what Zach Galifianakis wore in the 
hangover, oh, is it not? Of course, yes. <laughs> the one-man wolf pack. That's right. <laughs> How about pack. Susie's picture here of Raggedy Ann? Yeah, Susie has sent, she says, I'm 51 and I don't remember not having this. And it's an old Raggedy Ann doll. And it's in, it's in astonishing shape. I don't know how she's managed to preserve it so well. Anything that I, because I, like I said, I think I still have my rascal, my first stuffed animal. That's the first thing I remember having that was mine. And I still have it, but wow, is it beat up. Rascal is beat up. Well, you know what's funny is my blanket was called, uh, I called it my whoopee. Yep. And have you ever seen Mr. Mom? With Michael Keaton? Uh, I believe when I was a kid. I, I mean, that goes back, right? 1982, 83. It yeah. was on TV the other night. Ooh. And it's one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. It's very simplistic, but uh, great entertainment. And when Michael Keaton is at home with his kids, his I think it's his youngest, has his blanket. He calls it his whoopee as well. Really? And it rips. And so what does Michael Keaton do? He takes a stapler and staples it back together. Here you go, <laughs> Kevin. As Kevin or Kenny. I think it might be Kenny. Here's your whoopee. I wonder where the, the word... It must have whoopee. been something from people of my well, generation. Well, I just Googled whoopee. Yeah. And the right away, there's a, there's a thing... That says security blanket, teddy bear, or any physical item there for children, go. or emotional feeling for adults that gives you that safe, funny, fuzzy, warm aura, whoopee. That's as defined by Urban Dictionary. Love it. There we go. So I'm, I indeed wasn't alone on the whoopee uh, phraseology. I had a pound puppy that was a hound that I named Sparky. I still have it. Oh, cool. That's at 7806868. I don't have a pound puppy. Those were... I was a teenager when those came out. Uh, Whoopie is also, according to Urban Dictionary, a blunt containing a large amount of marijuana and a modicum amount of cocaine. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Rod asked this, and I meant to ask Dr. Cyrus, Brett, the other side. Wonder what the good doctor would say about me having nothing from my past, not even a yearbook. That from Ron at 780-6868. Great Question, Ron. We'll write it down. We'll ask Dr. Cyrus about that next week. And I've often, I've heard, I remember hearing once that, and I, this is a broad generalization, but for example, in uh, in Europe or in England, I guess a lot of old homes, really old homes, people can't hang on to things because they simply don't have the room. I think we just hang on to stuff because we can if I didn't have that second closet, for example, I don't know what I would do with all my stuff. Well, I'd have to make some cuts. Look at the proliferation of these outside storage units that people rent for 100 bucks a month. Yep. More room for their stuff. True. You know, we live in bigger houses than ever. Mm-hmm. We have bigger garages than ever. And people are still spending $100, $150 a month on storage for stuff that they never even go visit. That's true, and you're right. The, the, the homes are getting bigger. The garage. My friend uh, just built himself a house, and uh, he just moved out of uh, his modest starter home into something much bigger with his fiance. His garage is bigger than my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel kind of ashamed when I walk don't in. Don't be like, ashamed. Wow. You can be jealous, but don't be ashamed. <laughs> Three forty-four on six eighty CJOB traffic weather, and we will hear from Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham to tee up the news. All up next on 680 CJOB. It is 348. Have you heard this story real quick? Press secretary wasn't Sean Spicer's first White House job. During George W. Bush's presidency, he took on the role. Are you ready for this, Brett? Yes. Not rascal, but of the Easter Bunny. 
to entertain children at the annual White House Easter egg roll. Photos of Spicer wearing the fluffy white costume have resurfaced on social media this week <laughs> as the Christian observance of Lent begins. And these pictures are priceless. Thank goodness there are people out there that don't throw stuff away. Richard Cluche, Julie Buckingham, we keep them around uh, from 4 till 7 to get you home you informed. Have to. Well, I, the, the decision is certainly not mine because it might be completely different than those of management, but we'll live with you. Okay, we'd good. love to visit with you until 4, you know, until 4 o'clock. Tea Nothing but up. the love. It's Friday and he's had enough. Yep. I understand. That's right. <laughs> Clooch, what you got going on for today? We got lots going on. Uh, let me show you my phone here, and you can access this wonderful picture oh. on our CJOB Facebook page. Who's that? Well, That's Instagram Gus. it. This is Gus. And Isn't he cute? He's adorable. He's 11 months old. He's just a babe. Gus is a sweetie dog. He has a very bad eye. He's going for surgery. It's like an Australian sheepdog or something like that. Something like that? Something like that. I don't know. He's he's the best markings ever. He just has so much much personality and unfortunately can't have the surgery here in Winnipeg. So we're tracking his progress this weekend. We're going to introduce you to his human a little bit later on. And you'll be able to track Gus on our CJOB Facebook page. And you can join me on my Instagram page, Richard K. Cloutche, as we... Track Gus this weekend. When did you get on the Instagram? He's cool like that. Don't ask questions. Are All you right. are you following this dog through the weekend? Is that what's we're, happening? We're following Gus. We're following Gus and Gus's humans throughout. Uh, yes, Gus's servants actually. Yes, and we also have a, a video up on our CJOB Facebook page for the parade of homes. We had a chance to go oh. through a, a beautiful oh. home. You guys did? Yes. When did oh. you do that? Uh, yesterday morning. We when did you meet Gus? We're we're busy people. Yeah, barely. No kidding. We make things happen. Do you want to produce and host our show too? That would make <laughs> our lives really easy. <laughs> and uh, so it's an absolutely gorgeous home, and um, I kind of got lost in it. And Richard finds me in the video, so oh, you uh, have to check, watch this video because we get the we get the full tour of this incredible it's a smart, smart home. home. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Like is if it, there's iPads on the wall, it's very cool. What's the name of? The, is it on a street name that's named something like Prom? Prominence Point or Rose, your Rich Lane? Yeah, Rose Lake Court, and it's almost kind of like an island it is. in Bridgewater. Oh, like and there's only one way in and one way out. Oh, it's got to be close to the grand prize home for the uh, St. P. Uh, Mega Million Choices Lottery House. It's uh, it's not too far away from there. Is there uh, of course, mirrors on the ceiling, pink champagne on ice? Or? Parade, you have to go watch the video. Parade <laughs> of Homes begins this weekend. We'll talk more about that. And uh, expect that uh, by this time next year, you'll be paying even more at the pump in Manitoba as the government kind of quietly slid out a bit of a survey, an online survey today about carbon pricing. But as you take that survey, we'll post that on our Facebook page as well. A 20-minute survey. It takes you about 15, 20 minutes. But in the end, the government says this is all going to be revenue neutral. Remember revenue neutral? Mm -hmm, Sure. We're going to be paying more at the gas pump. We'll tell you all about that coming up. And I want to briefly highlight another story. We oh, are, this is We're going to speak phenomenal. with uh, Mary Doe. That was her birth name. She was abandoned in a garbage bag in Calgary. 
30 years ago, found by two teenage boys who did the right thing, saved this baby. She's now 29 years old. I remember that. Yes, it made national headlines. We will speak with Tiana, that's her name, coming up at 4.30 this afternoon. She is now trying to find her birth parents. Fabulous, Ben. These are incredible stories you've been bringing us the last few days. It's about time you stepped it up. (laughs) I do what I can. I do what I, you know, just give me that ladder and I'll keep on stepping up. Well, yes, you sure of need course. it. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. Julie Mackling and McGarry, the bar is really high. <laughs> Thank we, you very much. We always uh, love visiting with you guys. Now get out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Time is up. Get out. <laughs> uh, well, uh, hold those pancakes over our head. If you can get it to the top rung of the ladder, Julie. Oh, oh. Nice shot there, Mackling. You got it, buddy. I that, got your back. That's all the time and we your have. tummy, too. Yeah, they were good pancakes. Thanks, Julie. That was from Denny's the other day when they were in here, and they brought us all kinds of, of uh, pancaked goods. So, yeah, that was good. Thanks uh, for all of our listeners. Sorry, Brett, I'm going to cut you off real quick. For all the interaction this week, we really appreciate it. The emails, the text messages, the calls, uh, absolutely terrific. We appreciate it more than we can tell you. It is 3.54. That's all the time we have. Jeff Forte, thanks and Mass Control. Fine job as always, sir. The news is up next.